And I said, let me tell you my truth. Higher education is a sick industry. And in this state, it's particularly sick. I know of other schools who are teetering and not sure if they can remain open. I know you think that what we're doing is somehow not as uh, you know, august as how you're operating down here, but please understand, we, we have enough money to buy you that, that without us, you're, you're closing. This, this entity that you want to run the way it's always run is at an end. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ingenious You community, where we speak with higher ed's most creative thinkers and doers. In this episode, we continue our conversation with educational entrepreneur and president of Connecticut-based Goodwin University, Mark Scheinberg. In our first episode, we learned about the remarkable transformation that has occurred under Mark's leadership, culminating in a change in legal status to nonprofit and the renaming of the school as Goodwin University. In this second and final part of the conversation, we hear about Goodwin's most recent big move, the $32 million acquisition of the University of Bridgeport. It is an incredible story and something that could only be pulled off by someone with the strategic mind and business smarts of Scheinberg. Here is the rest of the story. Mark, the story of the transformation of Goodwin is nothing short of remarkable, and yet you are clearly not done. This past year, your latest big move took the higher ed world, and particularly in New England, by surprise. You acquired the University of Bridgeport for $32 million, no small undertaking. Can you share something about the backstory here? How did this come about? And how are you pulling it together? It would seem on the surface that your two institutions could not be more different. They have tenure. You do not. They have always prided themselves as being more of a traditional liberal arts kind of place, I believe. You are all about career readiness and workforce development. So what's the game plan for bringing these two institutions together and making it work? So, Melissa, actually, that one, just that acquisition would fill a few hours of, of, a, of a conversation like this. It is fascinating. Goodwin as a, as a service took over Lincoln College of New England about three years ago or so. And uh, that was a school that was a for-profit with about, oh, four or 500 students in it. And we agreed to help teach out their students that they had there. And so we stepped in and we took them all. We took them all and accepted their existing financial aid packages, which were all over the ice, and brought all those students over here. We took about a semester to do that, and thank God they were able to stay alive for that semester, because the, the tricky part about doing this is not what's obvious to the outsider. The tricky part is that you have to get the attention and approval of programmatic accreditors to let students remain in accredited programs until they graduate. And so, uh, so, and that is, that is tricky because those are national creditors for each program. And those national creditors, they are not as receptive <laughs> to what happens on a local level as far as the politics of a school closing. So yes. I don't wanna say they don't care, but they don't have systems in place 
to yeah. to adjust to what's happening in the real world right now. As a former provost, I I totally get that. The 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 dealings with the professional accrediting bodies are are of the most uh, complicated. Yeah, what are you what are you going complicated? Okay, we'll go with that one. Um, <laughs> I was gonna run, you know, it is. In academic speak, we know how to say things in a way that doesn't that doesn't seem offensive at times. Well, when we get offline, I I may use a different word, but right. well, <laughs> okay. it's funny, um, and, and and they all again mean well. In many cases, they're not, just not set up for this, and so right. if someone tells you in the fall that you know a, a school is closing in two weeks, and they say, okay, we can improve that next spring, it's like okay, that's not good because the school has closed and those students are off somewhere. So, so the ability to respond to that is, is tricky. We did, and actually in that, in that example, we did take on these students and we graduated somewhere about 85% that actually graduated mm -hmm. with their degree, which is unheard of. And so um, we were happy to have done that. The, uh, because of that experience, when the University of Bridgeport was having financial difficulties and the University of Bridgeport was quite well known for having financial difficulties, this wasn't anything new we did get, when it became apparent that they may not make it the way they were, we got a call uh, from some people at the state level who basically said, you know, we're in trouble here. Uh, Mark, you know how to do this. Can we, what can we do to save this institution? Because this is a significant institution. This is an institution that um, up until very recently was a, by far the largest engineering school in the state. It, it, made, it created more EDDs than the University of Connecticut. It, is, it was massive. It, it has a chiropractic school, a PA school, uh, the first dental hygiene school in the world. Um, this is a proud institution that, that uh, was significantly important, especially for first-generation students. And um, you know, so what can you do to save it? And I explained, it's too big for any school to actually swallow. We, we, you know, this is not a 500 person school. This is now a school at that time was about 4,000 students. And so you're gonna need a consortium of schools to try to perhaps each take a piece of it. And so initially we tried to enlist a few local uh, universities into taking parts of it because again, the hole was too big. And so, so we said, we had about, uh, I think it was three weeks to decide if we would take it. And I didn't expect that we would. I thought we'd do some piece of it. I went down to visit the University of Bridgeport, which I had only been at once before uh, during a meeting with their president. And I was I fell in love. It is, it is such a starkly beautiful campus sitting on the on the Long Island Sound. Um, it, it, it shocked me for what was there. It was because they had had such financial difficulty, it was in uh, it looked really good, but you knew that behind the facade that there was a lot of infrastructure that needed to be fixed, a lot of deferred maintenance. Uh, but the programs themselves were proud and strong. And so we tried to work with other institutions to try to split these things up. The other institutions we were working with were, were by and large local, and they were looking, frankly, to cherry pick programs that made sense to them. They were already in the area, so they didn't need another school locally. We were from outside the area and over the course of a few months, they all fell away. And so it, it became something quite different instead of a 
breaking up of a school, it was actually the takeover of school, which simplified things for those programmatic accreditors. Because for a programmatic accreditor, they were used to schools being bought and sold because of the proprietary world. In our case here, it was a nonprofit taking over another nonprofit, which is really makes your head sort of twist, but we wanted to use those regulations because it made everything go faster. Some of the programs that we were taking over, if we had done it uh, by taking over the programs, it would take in some cases two or three years to get our approvals in place. And the school didn't have that. In the case of, by doing it, what we did, in many cases, it was a letter just saying that, that the school's intact, it's a separate entity, it's intact, and it, it will continue to operate the way it does. Yeah. Your other point about, so there's, there's so much more elements of that, which, which I'm happy to delve into, because you know, it's, it's, it's a fascinating business case. Uh, but you had asked about the, the missions of the two schools. We determined- And the, and the, cult, and the cultures. I would assume the cultures are, are quite different, maybe. Yeah, I know uh, earlier offline, I did tell you the story that when we first looked like we were taking over the place, which was uh, the summer of 20 is when it came out. Uh, we were looking at trying to finish that up if we could in, in six or eight months. Remember what we were doing there. You had a school that was had lost $15 million the prior year. Higher education is not a good bet to any bank, but we we're trying to do this in the middle of COVID which was which was maybe a step too far when you think about it that it was too much for people to to get their hands around all at the same time and that school was a very traditional school they did have tenure it had two semesters a year we run three um and so when we're having town meetings uh, talking about what we can people ask us a lot of questions that we didn't have answers to first of all are you gonna have sports teams are we gonna I don't know. I've never had sports before. I need to. I need need half a minute to look into this with any sense of, uh, you know, sensibility. The um, but one of the big things is that I was pelted, myself and and our provost here, uh, Daniel Wilkin, were pelted over and over again with questions about tenure. Are you, do you have tenure? No, Goodwin doesn't have tenure. Well, maybe you don't understand tenure. No, we absolutely understand tenure. We, we've researched it quite a bit. Well, I don't think running three semesters a year, you know, is the right way to do it because that's what a trade school would do. And I'd say, I understand that's, that's how we operate. And I remember um, finally having, getting exasperated with about the third meeting where people were bringing this up, trying to use other words, but asking exactly the same question. And I said, let me tell you my truth. Higher education is a sick industry. And in this state, it's particularly sick. I know of other schools who are teetering and not sure if they can remain open. I know you think that what we're doing is somehow not as uh, you know, august as how you're operating down here, but please understand, we, we have enough money to buy you that, that without us, you're, you're closing. This, this entity that you want to run the way it's always run is at an end. So this is what it has to look like. In fact, when we bought the place, we did not buy the corporation. We created a new nonprofit corporation and bought the institution. And what does that mean? It seems like a, a difference that doesn't, that doesn't matter. This one does because people were invited to 
actually apply to work at this new institution or not. The new institution had three semesters and no tenure. And about 90% of the student, uh, the people who were there actually did. Um, to your point about titles, the culture was very different, very rigid. School was hurting. It had gotten beaten up for years with cuts and cuts and cuts. You get to the point where you're cutting people indiscriminately without any, any strategic thought to it. And, um, and these guys were, you know, they were, they were coward almost. And so the process had been, first of all, to get them on board and the process losing a couple of people who didn't want to be on board. Uh, and then setting out a new way to look at this whole thing. Uh, Danielle, who was the provost I was just talking about, was installed down there as their president and has been there since uh, you know last March 24th. And um, she has been incredibly accessible. It has worked in teams. There is, I keep on liking it to that scene in the Wizard of Oz where the where the wicked witch gets killed by Dorothy and all of a sudden all the troops open their eyes and and, and they're they're not mad at her. They're they're all happy. <laughs> if you go down there today, it feels exactly the same. People are energized. There's all these ways to expand both programming and non-programmatic things that they've been trying to do for years. And no one could talk to them because there was no place to go with a new idea. There was, if something cost $50,000 to get off the ground, it was already dead on arrival. And suddenly this place has, this place has, um, has a new, new birth to it. Last year when we took over, because we were the undergraduate school, if you were going to school there, you weren't entirely sure the place was going to survive. We hadn't closed and, and people knew that if we didn't close, it was dire. And we lost a quarter of our undergraduate students before the end of the year. They finished in, in, in June and like any parent might do, they said, let's get these kids out of here so that we're not in this situation you read about in the paper. Since then, we have recouped just about all those students. Since then, we have grown. Um, we're not there yet. I mean, we're, I, my guess is we're slightly losing money or maybe slightly making money. I don't know, but we're close. But the trends and trajectories are that we will be just fine. That is a remarkable, remarkable story. And uh, it does merit a much fuller unpacking. So I know you and I have talked about that you should do a case study or something, uh, not only on Goodwin, but the whole trajectory, but on, on this piece of it, it would be really, really interesting and valuable because I would imagine other people might be reaching out to you now uh, who may be curious about their own institutional, uh, the fate of their institutions. And um, I mean, I, I, we're gonna see more of this, not, not less in the- You're gonna see a lot more of it. And there's a lot of people who have reached out and, and good or bad, we know, we know that we know how to do it. I mean, that's yeah. an expertise that we actually have in house that we should be offering to people as, as a, as a consulting sort of thing, but it's, it's terribly important. And we really want to be helpful to, uh, you know, to, to academia and trying to figure this out. It will happen a lot. We have yeah. uh, caused even at the federal level to have discussions on programmatic accreditors on how they're going to handle these situations and respond to them. If, 
we keep on hearing right or wrong that you have some significant number of schools that are going to go out in the next couple of years. I've heard anything from, you know, 15% to, you know, 40 to 50%. I think the lower number is probably closer to the truth, but I think that it's going to happen. Everyone knows that. And yet no one wants to talk about that sort of dirty reality that's that we have to all deal with. And so we should be at least putting systems in place so that students are being taken care of. Forget about institutions sometimes need to go, but students have to be taken care of. And if we don't have systems in place, we're hurting those students that we purport to, to operate for. Yeah, indeed. So, well, maybe I can come back another time and we can talk more about the, the, uh, the acquisition if you would. <laughs> if you I would love do. that. It's, it's a fascinating story. Yeah. So we just have a few minutes left. And I, I'm, I really want to ask you about your leadership style. And I think, I think we're all getting a pretty good sense of it from, uh, from the conversation so far. I was particularly struck when you talked about your truth uh, in how you uh, communicated to the folks at Bridgeport and being transparent and uh, defining reality for them, which is I'm, I'm imagining a big part of your leadership style. But as somebody who's founded a college and who has remained in the president's role for 40 years now, which is in and of itself quite remarkable, um, what recommendations do you have for other higher ed leaders? And I'm thinking particularly of the students who sit in my classroom who are emerging professionals uh, wanting to become deans or provosts. I have some who want to be president someday. What would you tell them? What's in the Mark Scheinberg playbook for effective higher ed leadership? Huh. Um, first of all, the length of tenure is so important. I think this that I heard most recently is president's uh, average tenure is 3.6 years, I think it is. Uh, so nationally, if you get a president that will stay more than three years, you're, you're, you're good. Uh, and that's not enough time to affect strategic change. The you know, strategy is always something two, three times that. And if you're not going to be around that long, you have to have a succession plan with leadership that is more than just finding someone who's the flavor of the day. And so, and so everyone's looking for the brass ring. And people rarely are figuring out what they want to do with it once it happens. So insofar as boards and leadership can work in tandem to have a longer view of what they're doing with people in place to take on that view beyond the, the tenure of one person, that would be huge. If you don't have that kind of time, it, you're really going at a disadvantage. I would say for someone new coming into it, that idea of of working towards profit really matters because you want to try things uh, new and special and you won't be able to do that. You want to embrace failure. Everybody afraid is afraid that any failure is, a, is going to end their career. And honestly, oftentimes it does. And the fact is, is that you have to have enough in place so a well-placed failure will teach you a whole lot more and, and will set you up better for the successes that you have to have. And you know what? No one knows which things you're doing are gonna be successful or be a failure. You have an idea, but if you're looking for guarantees, you're in the wrong business. Um, I think you have to elevate the people underneath you. 
the real workers. I think that um, I'd watch out for those titles. I know, especially when you're bouncing between universities and trying to make your way, claw your way up the pyramid, um, you know, they matter. But don't do it for this at the risk of not learning. There's such learning that people have in places. I have had it happen here. It was interesting. My HR director was talking to a senior person I have here who is at a point where just out of stature, uh, this professional could probably get to a provost or even a president's level someplace because it's so dynamic and people are coming and going so fast. And she said, my HR director said to, to the guy, you know, yes, you can do that. But right now you're sitting at the knee of someone who has something really to teach you. That if, if you jump for that, you'll get that, but you'll be struggling from this point forward. If you can, if you can gather as much as you can, this is the time to do it. It's so strange because I'm at I'm of an age suddenly where, where people listen. I wonder sometimes, you know, back in the day when I thought I knew things, and sometimes I did, that would be dismissed. It's interesting. I'm getting too much credit now for things that I know. <laughs> Uh, that are equally the same. And I think I think uh, two other things. If you want to keep entrepreneurship around you, then work in pods, don't work in hierarchy. Mm. What I mean by that from a management point of view is you want to put people in groups for whom they have total ownership of something, live or die. And, and they will find the energy to make it something special. If it all, if it all reverts up to the leadership, then those people can oftentimes be minimized. So you want to always, uh, you know, delegate that back down and give all credit exactly there. If you give credit for everybody underneath you, everyone that you're talking to is giving it to you anyways. So why would you ever puff yourself up? You're, you're making an idiot of yourself and you're making people underneath you resent you. And finally, I think the biggest thing is just put students first. You're never going to have a wrong answer to anything if students is at the center of what you're talking about. Students in their community is all that matters. So if you're fighting for something, even for something that's not uh, popular, if you're doing it in the name of students, you're always going to seem like you are you are you know coming up with the right answer. Yeah, boy, that's those are those are uh, terrific uh, uh, points uh, that I think have application for just about anybody uh, working in higher ed and elsewhere, elsewhere these days. You have the experience. You've completed the coursework in a doctoral program, but you haven't completed that dissertation. Now you have a path to leave your ABD, that's all but dissertation status behind with Baypath University, our innovative Doctorate of Education in Higher Ed Leadership and Organizational Studies ABD Degree Completion Program makes it easier than ever for qualified candidates to finish what you started. Our one-of-a-kind program builds on your previous experience with coursework designed to strengthen your innovative leadership mindset and gain the executive management skill set you need to lead and to transform educational institutions for the 21st century. 
The coursework for the ABD degree completion program is entirely online and can be completed in well under two years. What's more, you will have an abundance of support along the way, from your faculty advisor to your small community of practice group of classmates with whom you will meet regularly for dissertation advisement and much needed encouragement. With Baypath University, there's no reason to wait any longer. Trade up from ABD to EDD and take your place among the next generation of educational leaders. For more information, visit our website at baypath.edu edd. That's baypath.edu edd. Don't wait a minute longer. Make today the day you finish what you started. Now, you've been described as uh, somebody, and it relates to one of the points you just made, that you do a lot of mentoring, or you have a heart for mentoring uh, young entrepreneurial leaders or up-and-coming entrepreneurial leaders. Is that, that's true, right? It is true. It's funny. I'd never thought of myself about that as much as I'm getting, I'm getting it reflected from people. But first of all, I am an entrepreneur. I mean, um, and it's it's interesting because I find them all all these things being puzzles and they're fun to figure out and then you then somehow it it may, it gets becomes sustainable it makes money and that's all sort of great fun uh, to have that in higher education is is powerful but there is that and what's also interesting is that when you see that in people underneath you when it is the spark of 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 the challenge the spark of the student. It's it's great fun to noodle these sorts of problems and figure out how to how you might go about it, and it's it's rarely uh, you know it's it's rarely something that you can see in a job description. It, it, this is not this has got to be something that you sort of built around. So if I'm if I'm a mentor, largely it is enjoying the journey that people are on to get there, and sometimes. You know, sometimes I can be helpful and sometimes perhaps not, but um, hopefully I'm at least giving people things to, to think about that, that uh, <laughs> sometimes they don't want to think about. I think if every entrepreneur is really logical, they'd probably back out. So, so there, is, <laughs> there is that too. So you have to find, find that medium. But, um, but I, I, you know, I have still you know, a spark left that, uh, that I, I enjoy this part of it very, very much. Yeah, well, and what value you're adding to the to the next generation uh, of leaders in higher ed and and elsewhere. So, so Mark, what's next for Goodwin, and what's next for you, for Mark Scheinberg? For Goodwin, if we do our job right, I should never be able to describe that. People years and years ago would ask me, so what is Goodwin like in you know 20 years or 30 years, and I'd say. I have no idea, but I can tell you what it's supposed to feel like. I can tell you what the environment should be like. I can tell you how a student should feel going to school here. Um, and naturally, organically, that means that programs will change. It, people would say, because that's, that's, that's the answer they're looking for. You know, what is, what is it, it going to be like? Are you going to have more doctoral degrees? going to be, who cares? Really, who cares? What it really matters is, is how are we serving the students in our community? And 
So for Goodwin, uh, the only thing I will tell you is because Goodwin having its strengths in the workforce area, the shorter term programs as its bread and butter, and UB having such massive amounts of graduate programs and doctoral programs, there will be a bit of a, you do want to keep a Chevy and a, and a Cadillac branding both in place so that if we're doing things in, in engineering up here in East Hartford, it shouldn't be Goodwin doing it. It should be UB doing it. And they have all the strength in the world to do that. At the same time, when we're doing more of the workforce training down in, in Bridgeport, it'll be Goodwin taking the lead there because that's what we do and that's what we, that's what we enjoy. So for Goodwin and, and UB, the journey is just beginning. Um, but what is, what is getting really clear that if we have a little bit of runway, uh, they will both find their footing quite nicely in both places. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. For me, I have a few years left in me and I'm going to enjoy them as it's going. And, uh, and you know, more and more for the last 20 years, every bank and every accreditor and everybody else has always asked about my succession because as a founding president, the worry is always that what happens when the founder leaves? It's the same thing with any private organization. And so more and more we're focused on on getting things down to a different level so that my leaving or not is, is not important. More and more you will see uh, in the press and other places, it's not me that's the one in front of the camera anymore. We don't need that anymore. We don't need that hook. If anything, it, it will become a millstone if you hold on to that too long. And so the idea is to elevate and, and uh, highlight those people underneath that are working their way up. And so for me, um, for me, I, I, my, my career will, will end as it should. And this organization, which I've been planning for years, but what does it look like in 75 years when I'm not around, will get a chance to flex its own muscle and, yeah. and show that it, this is not a one trick pony. Yeah, you know, I wanted to ask you uh, about the magnet schools. Because that's one of the things in terms of what's next for Goodwin. I don't think many people are aware of how significant your presence is in terms of the magnet schools there in your area. So how many how many do you have right now? So yes, for people who don't know, a magnet school is is essentially a uh, a school that's sort of a it's a school where where people from the whole catchment area from all different districts will go to a single school that usually has a theme around it. And for colleges, we tend to bemoan all the lousy product that we're working with out of, out of the public schools that we have to somehow create students out of. And instead of getting into, involved with that conversation, we decided about 15, 16 years ago that let's experiment ourselves and start our own schools. So currently we have four magnet schools on the campus. We've been approved to have two more magnet schools on the campus. It is more magnet schools than are on any campus college campus in the country. We run them, we own and operate them. We are, as Goodwin, our own local education agency. We are our own board of education, which is absurd, but it means that, think about what that creates. Can you, the students coming out of these schools will oftentimes have a year or more of college under their belt. We're almost at a point where they can start thinking about whether or not we can start getting people an associate's degree out of high school. Mm. We can, start, we can start doing our international work with students before they even get here for college. We can start doing work around students with, uh, 
with disabilities and other needs and do it from an earlier case, we can do some of our technical training at a high school. In fact, one of our new high schools that was just approved is a Vogue Tech High School, similar to the Vogue Tech High School system, but as a magnet school run by us. And the, the level at which all this sort of fits together is something that has its own energy, as you can tell in my voice probably. Uh, and so you have this, this entirely new vector that's going off and an entirely new, uh, uh, just new experimentation that is now a significant part of our budget and is off on their own. Back to that idea of having pods where people can be independently entrepreneurial. Well, and I, I'm anticipating that's, that's a big part of your future as well, uh, to see that continue to grow. Um, will that be something that we'll see more of at the University of Bridgeport? Do you anticipate uh, bringing that model to that area as well? We certainly can. We, we'd love to do it. Uh, there's, there is, uh, I think there's a process. We, ha we have Bassett High School that is moving on to the University of Bridgeport campus, a regular public mm -hmm. high school. But to have some additional magnet opportunities within Bridgeport is a Bridgeport is a place where that's desperately needed. Yeah. It's a very odd little spot. Bridgeport is the largest city in the state of Connecticut, and if you travel five miles in any direction, you're in some of the wealthiest areas in Connecticut. Yeah. So th that's that's a fascinating dichotomy. That if you can do really important programming, it could be something quite special. Mm. So we'll be watching for that. So here's my final question. We like to ask this question of, of everybody. It, it has to do with what uh, is uh, what you are working on at the moment or what's occupying your mind that you find particularly exciting and interesting. Well, you've hit on a lot of them. Right now <laughs> at the University of Bridgeport, as I said, the dawn is sort of broken and so, uh, so we find ourselves focused a lot on opportunities that are there that we have to grab as quickly as possible as we're turning that thing around. There's a lot of external uh, branding to be done there because Bridgeport, again, you say the University of Bridgeport, uh, locally you think Bridgeport, which is, which is usually an inner city kind of thought, or you think that it's financially troubled uh, from any number of different reasons. Uh, so so the, the turnaround of that is, is brings me energy because it's just such a uh, such an interesting thing. At Goodwin though, we can't lose track of what we're doing here. So Goodwin is actually reshaping its own strategic plan uh, given its opportunities to expand geographically down there. So, so we're doing that in real time as well, trying desperately to prioritize what's happening with all these different things. Our problem right now is that there truly is not enough hours in the day. And although most college presence will say that because it's true for all of us it's there is different energy when you are working this hard to stay alive as if you're working this hard to take advantage of the opportunities so um so yeah i'm, I'm breathless there's an awful lot going on that that would be that could take another hour again so but we have different groups that are all working concurrently on all these things people wonder how did that happen on this side? How did this happen? There's different teams that are very much invested in all these different things. And my job is really to put the right people in place and stay out of the way. Well, with that, 
this has been just a wonderful conversation. I feel like I've been to school for the last hour. So Mark, thank you so, so very much for your time, for your willingness to uh, share the story and your expertise. And I hope we'll have more conversations in the future. Melissa, I appreciate that fact that this that this uh, podcast brings a lot of important issues out in some depth that I think are so critical uh, to us in higher education at the crossroads. We really appreciate your efforts. I'm Melissa Morse-Olson, and you've been listening to Ingenious You, the podcast where we speak with higher ed's most creative thinkers and doers. Ingenious You is a production of Chalup, the Center for Higher Education Leadership and Innovative Practice at Baypath University. Check out our website at baypath.edu slash for information about our professional development opportunities, including our blog and our free monthly Leading Edge Thinking in Higher Education webinar series. Be sure to rate and review Ingenious You wherever you get your podcasts and let your friends and colleagues know so that they too can join the Ingenious You community. That's all for now. Thanks so very much for listening. Stay healthy and be well.